Hi everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex. This week it's our final post-race edition of the season. Um, 2018 for Formula 1's come to an end. The Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, I guess, you know, the last, the race. Um, and it's finally over, sort of lost for words anyway, given the way the season panned out. But um, yeah, as always, I'm Jawad, joined by Baden. So Abu Dhabi, we've got to discuss, and of course, the supercars in Newcastle, which probably had a more thrilling conclusion than the F1 season, but we'll talk about that a bit later. But yeah, um, you know, it's all over. We were just saying off air, it's it's almost a relief, finally, to, to have it nipped in the bud, and all eyes on 2019, but um, as far as 2018 and Abu Dhabi was concerned, it was an 11th win for Lewis Hamilton this season. Uh, it was a convinc- convincing race, you know, from pole position, capping off what's been a stellar season, and I guess just that notion of him after winning his championship with the races in hand, usually he just uh, disappears, but um, it wasn't like that at all this year. He won two of the three races, and um, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, been a really, really stellar year. That's all we can say. Hi, everybody. And indeed, hard to believe for the final time in season, that's done and dusted and probably nice to put a line through it all the way that just petered out dramatically second year in a row. And probably Abu Dhabi was just that reflection of the season. It was Hamilton's evening, you could say, the twilight race there in Hamilton's year yet again and thoroughly deserved and just that fact you alluded to that uh, after he secured the title for the first time he's gone on with the job rather than going into conservation mode. It just shows you that he's lost no motivation whatsoever and, and just that thought with five titles secured now, we really do have to at this point think about that debate with Michael Schumacher but that's something for another time we'll talk about the race itself for now yeah exactly and Hamilton himself saying that um in previous years what it meant for him the next season at the start is that if he switched off after winning the championship that means he uh uh, conceded the momentum to his rivals coming into the following season so you know it wouldn't be surprising if we get into 2019 and come Melbourne that Lewis Hamilton puts on that masterclass that he did in Abu Dhabi again because he's got that momentum with him but with the race itself and as with the championship you could say Sebastian Vettel was the runner-up with no answer to what Mercedes had on the day um, Lewis Hamilton was a bit baffled, you could say, when his team pitted him pretty early on lap eight when the virtual safety car came out for, for Kimi Raikkonen, who unfortunately in his final race for Ferrari um, ended up uh, being a victim of a mechanical failure and just was stuck on the, the pit straight. So, yeah, but in the end, it was the winning strategy for Mercedes. Hamilton was able to make those super soft tyres last to the end and um, just basically was untroubled um, all race long. Not even the Red Bulls could mix it in with the the Mercedes. It was most intriguing, Vettel. He wasn't that far behind ultimately, but the question has to be asked why, with everything off the table, Ferrari uh, didn't get ruthless and just have a go, whether it meant Vettel ate his tyres up because it wasn't going to do any damage to his second place in the standings, but it just seemed to peter away. And, and whether it was just Hamilton maintaining that gap or Mercedes just, again, vindicating the way that, that cream rises to the top when it it does count, it was a bit of a, a lacklustre way for it to all fizzle out. And at least, I guess, we got to see after 
towards that camaraderie between Hamilton, Vettel and Alonso, which was probably the most entertaining aspect of the evening. Yeah, hard not to have a little tear in the eye, you could say, some, or some people have said, seeing those guys do their donuts on the on the main straight, and for Alonso, who hasn't really had a lot of uh, things to be happy about in the last few years, you know, it's uh, probably the highlight, you could say, um, since he returned to McLaren, and of course, Alonso ends up with multiple five-second penalties to his name during the race for for cutting corners. You know, they his engineer said, "Oh, you can catch the guy ahead, maybe uh, score tenth. And Alonso cheekily decides to cut corners and set a few fast sectors to get everyone excited. But yeah, in the end, I guess the position he was in, um, he had enough of a gap to the guy behind that those uh, fifteen seconds or whatever didn't end up deterring him. So a sad way I guess um, you know no no points uh, no nothing for Alonso but yeah those burnouts would have been quite uh, entertaining for those guys too and for all three world champions as well on the grid together um, it's such a great thing to see whether it was partially orchestrated by Liberty or just a reflection of that respect that they do share it is quite a symbolic moment that generation is starting to be eroded and at least we've got some drivers continuing like Raikkonen and returning in Kubica but it's been the the mainstay for the past 10 to 15 years and whether we do see Alonso on the grid again in a year or so that that's indeterminate at the moment but oh, it's, it's, see yeah with all uh, what's being said it could be it could be on the cards they're saying yeah it's just goodbye for now <laughs> at least though uh, you can see for Alonso a bit of closure since he's not gaining anything out of out of what he's doing now and whether he is revitalized by some time away but he's already got past his new lined up for next year and I'm sure that he'll probably um, not be a surprise to anyone if he can realize that triple crown exactly so more on that anyway Alonso's plans a bit later but going with the with Red Bull so fifth consecutive podium for Max Verstappen who's had a strong run at the end of the season but I guess it was more um, significant for us uh, being Aussies that he denied Daniel Ricciardo a podium in his final race for Red Bull so solid race though finishing fourth Nevertheless, but yeah, you know, you would have thought that a podium would have been a, a fairy tale finish, and we did see Dan leading the race for some time, given that Red Bull left him out there on those tyres. And uh, Max, you know, he got a poor start um, due to engine issues. He was swallowed up by a couple of cars, but ended up um, making those hyper soft tyres that he started the race on last, due to the fact that there was a few safety cars to to help him out there. The f- first safety car came out on the first lap, of course, with that spectacular incident between Hulkenberg and Grosjean so Hulkenberg flipped over at turn nine racing incident but you know it was good to see that Hulk was unharmed there was a bit of a debate that came on after that about the halo given that Hulk couldn't really get out of the car because of the halo blocking it being on the car being upside down or whatever and we did see the rear of the car sort of catch fire so if that wasn't put out as as soon as it was by the marshals there was a bit of concern that this could get ugly but thankfully everyone was unharmed yeah well ricardo had a brief window of opportunity there when red bull maybe hedged its bets with that uh, very 
intermittent rain shower, which is highly improbable in the desert, but it did occur very briefly there. And if it had have intensified, then it would have been a, a masterstroke. But as it was, he displayed that pace, which we, we know has been there, but he's never been able to display it because his car purely hasn't run the distance so many times in 2000. And 18. So for him to sign off, at least, it was more of a positive note than anything we've had really since the highs of China and Monaco. But but when you do go further down that field and that first lap and just that debate we've had for the entire season, this was probably the first, I guess you could consider Belgium as well, where we had the little um, close call with Leclerc and Alonso, where that scratched up the... Um, the halo surface, the mounting point, and then here the idea of someone being trapped, but it didn't even come to pass that there was a, a close call. Those marshals were on the scene fairly quickly and and they did the right procedures. So it's a debate for a, another day. And I think really it's it's useless if every time there's any kind of incident where it's a bit hard for a driver to extricate themselves that it's going to come down to oh is this going to be a liability when it comes down to a fire which which honestly is very rare in formula one these days so it's, it's a very improbable scenario if it ever came to pass yeah exactly ever since we stopped the whole refueling thing fires have been very rare to see in formula one apart from you know if an engine blows up it's all internal anyway so i guess that's just the a testament to the safety of the sport at the moment and yeah you know apart from that the halo didn't really raise much um de- debate or question this year you know everyone sort of ignored it after the first race it's done its job as you said in belgium um with the head protection of Charles Leclerc on that occasion and then this time I guess just Hulkenberg being trapped or whatever he was hanging like a cow he said or something so um, yeah it will be for as you say a debate for another time so Hulk unfortunately one of five retirees in that race when you look at the list um, Raikkonen we've already said in his final race for Ferrari it wouldn't have been the way he would have liked to have gone on Uh, Marcus Ericsson too disappointed um, that in his final race in Formula 1 ended up retiring Esteban Ocon as well. Um, it just keeps getting worse and worse when I read this list out. Um, in his final race before he becomes Mercedes test driver next year and Pierre Gasly too in his final Toro Rosso race too. So basically everyone who was leaving Formula 1 or most of them or moving to other teams ended up retiring with their um, respective teams. But um, yeah, you know, it wasn't as bad, I guess, um, you know... It, for the likes of Alonso, you would have thought that if he had retired, that would have been some kind of travesty or whatever, but um, no, he survived. Yeah, probably the straitjacket would have been warranted in, in that case, even though it counted for, for little when he didn't even score a point, but just to at least see him out there for the duration, um, you've really just got to take it for what it is when there's been such diminishing returns since um, really the start of this decade, and when you do look down that list so in the race itself it is intriguing that you get someone like a Leclerc and thought there was a genuine chance he could have signed off in his own tenure there with maybe not a podium but a a top five and they somehow managed to butcher that strategy with the early safety car yeah he was left a bit unhappy after that first safety car and he was running as high as fourth we remember at the start of the race so that was looking pretty exciting but it was Carlos Sainz who was best of the rest in the end with p6 seventh I guess yeah for Leclerc still solid you know the points there but you know if he had 
perhaps finished in that top five or whatever. They could have scored those four points needed to overhaul Force India in the Constructors' Championship as well, which would have been great for, for Sauber and the year that they've had. But yeah, with Kimi Raikkonen going there next year, it's uh, hard not to get excited with the form that they've shown that, um, yeah, they could potentially be back to where they were in 2012 or close to that. Um, talked about Dan, sorry, before as well saying how you know he would have been unlo- he would have been disappointed not to have finished with a podium but how about Valtteri Bottas who finishes the season without a win you know like we thought that Abu Dhabi it would have been guaranteed that he would have won the race but um yeah Bottas just went missing again he struggled on the super soft tires in the second stint ended up having to take a second stop and then finished fifth and just nowhere near the Red Bulls either so it's no surprise when you hear after the race Toto Wolff saying that Bottas is going to disappear over the winter and basically have a bit of a rethink about um, his approach and just yeah have a mental reset because I guess ever since the whole wingman thing it's it's really gotten to him and now pressures on him to perform next year or to to do enough to convince Mercedes to keep him for another season because now Esteban Ocon's knocking on the door and yeah it seems likely that um you know he might be replaced come 2020. He certainly limped to the line and the the wind was knocked from his sails after Russia and that was one if not for Azerbaijan or even Austria or Germany, uh, even Italy, when he was used as a pawn there against uh, Raikkonen, and he had so many opportunities, and he was clearly neglected in favour of Hamilton. And, and you can't blame him for the way that he just looked listless in that final quarter of the season. And you can't blame him. Ultimately, it's a poor reflection on where he did finish in the race and in the standings when he warranted a lot more than that. And you can see on merit when you look objectively at some of those performances up until the the wingman comments came out at Germany that he was a completely transformed driver afterwards and he deserves really at least the first part of 2019 to show what he is capable of before we just say he's a placeholder for Ocon in 2020 and beyond. Yeah exactly and um, it that's why it's probably important that he does take the winter to spend time away um, and reset mentally as well before coming back next year to to see if he can get, get back into the winner's circle. So uh, Mercedes won the Constructors' Championship, yet he hasn't won a race, um, which is just... When you look at that's on the when you look back at it in history, it all stand out for sure. Given how strong Mercedes have been, and you've already said it, all the opportunities that he did have, and just to have um, it snatched away from him, just uh, yeah, it, it's hard to imagine how he would be feeling with the season as a whole. And then when you look at the the championship and where the he finished in the end, Max Verstappen ended up. Uh, jumping into that fourth place, which Bottas was for the majority of the time. So, um, yeah, to finish fifth in the championship as well, not a good look. On that note, it was quite amusing to see, despite maybe not his own concerted efforts, but when he was handed the opportunity to, to not finish third in the standings, it still transpired after Bottas fell down the field and Verstappen not able to pinch second off Vettel. It ensured that Kimi Raikkonen retained third in the driver's standing so he has to trudge off to that uh, despised FIA gala and it seems as though 
each of the top three there aren't the, the keenest on attending this function in the next week or so well, when they I have guess, other priorities. Well, I guess Hamilton as the world champion, he's got to, but for the other two, the runners-up and whatnot, the two Ferrari drivers on this occasion, I guess, yeah, you, you, you can excuse them, but, you know, Kimi's sort of mellowed out anyway. He doesn't mind this sort of stuff now, so... Well, you've got to credit him as it is for, for what it is on paper to finish third and first time in a decade two Ferrari drivers are in the the top three but uh, on paper from when he returned in 2014 this has been far and away his strongest campaign and just a nice way for him to sign off. Yeah you know I totally think um, the thought just came to me then that uh, I think Kimi's been the better Ferrari driver for the majority of the season this year and it just shows in the results his consistency and everything and you know, he's still, you know, all that talk about him retiring after this, it, I think it's still too early. He's still got pace up his sleeve and I'm sure he'll be a, a great asset at Sauer and we'll see him getting results for them. So, you know, I'm kind of excited that he still gets to drive on. I'm kind of disappointed that he won't be in a race winning car because, you know, he's shown that form that he can still win races or win a race. So, yeah, but what he'll do at Sauber will be exciting enough to, to see for next year. So rounding it out then, I guess, for Abu Dhabi, uh, the 21 races done and dusted, driver of the day. Um, everyone voted for Fernando Alonso, given that it was just a gesture for his farewell. Uh, didn't really do anything exciting, did Alonso anyway. But um, I guess going to give this final one probably to, uh, to Lewis Hamilton, just to say that, you know, he put in the solid drive like he's done all season long and you know you said it before that Schumacher's records are within his reach and the way he's ended off this season um, even after winning the championship shows you that yeah you know 91 races look out you know he could even I reckon perhaps if he went on for another three years could even look at potentially reaching the century of victories which would be quite something in Formula One. Well, you look at those stats the last five seasons, something like 51 victories for Mercedes overall from 100 starts. I think they've they've won um, 77, 78 of them. It's just ridiculous figures, and there's no reason why that's going to slow down, at least until the 2021 regulation changes. So another 10 victories, 2019, 2020, there's... There's every possibility, and if that does happen, he'll already have surpassed him, and whether he's invigorated to continue under the the new formula after that, then he could uh, rewrite his own record books, let alone just moving one or two ahead. And, and you think um, for all the polarising um, thoughts that, that he does in, induce on everyone whether you love him or you hate him he's certainly a great driver and i think he's really at the peak of his powers and there's no reason to think he's not going to grow even stronger yeah exactly and we'll talk more about that i guess in reflection when we do our end of season uh special review whatever you want to call it but right now let's just go straight into the digest and a lot of news came out after Abu Dhabi, I guess, with the end of season or preparation for next year. So the first thing was that we had Alexander Albon confirmed by Toro Rosso to complete the grid, I guess, for 
for 2019. The reason I say I guess is because they haven't officially confirmed Lance Stroll yet as a force I India driver. They had a, a guy that looked like him. I think he, his name might have even been also just by coincidence. Oh, Lance really? Stroll, but okay. I, I don't know if he's got a chance of driving for whatever that team's going to be called Yeah, that whatever season. that team's going to be called next year because it won't be Force India for sure. So you'd just think that that's a formality to come within days um, given that he did test with them this week. So, um, yeah, you know, but Albon completing the line-up there at Toro Rosso. Um, it, it, as we said it before, it just it, it's so funny that it's a team next year made up of two uh, previous Red Bull uh, rejects, basically. I guess... Kvyat was given the opportunity to race for Red Bull and for Toro Rosso in Formula One, but Albon was uh, axed from the program back in 2012, and since then he's sort of come to his feet on his own. He was runner-up this year. Was he runner-up in F2, or did he lose out to Lando Norris? I'm not sure, but he did finish in the top three this year, and he's going to be one of those... You know, it's so exciting to see those top three drivers from F2 this year all come into the F1 next year. So that's Russell, that's Lando Norris and Albon and three more Brits for all the Brits to get behind. And for Albon, probably the fact that he's a bit younger than Hartley was when he was repatriated after he was cast aside way back when. As much as this is just history repeating itself, you get the sense with Albon that he's really developed outside of that empire of particular evils you could describe it that there's certainly um, waste no time standing around if you're not delivering wins and championships immediately then they've got no aspersions about casting you aside so it's just good to see someone like him and all the hype and you see all the journalists say he truly is something special and again we won't die wondering at the very least and and for Kafiat he's got his third opportunity to to make something of it finally yeah and it was great to see him back behind the wheel of the Toro Rosso during that Abu Dhabi test as well which um, Charles Leclerc I guess the hype's building around him seeing him in the Ferrari colors finally and of course he was fastest on the final day of the test as well with that uh, 2019 spec Pirelli tyre so you know watch out Sebastian Vettel watch out Formula 1 for next year because Leclerc is um, looking like the real deal and we saw a few other drivers with their um, teams for next year Robert Kubica was in the Williams Stroll of course in the Force India and um, Kimi Raikkonen in the Sauber as well dressed as the Stig in the all white uniform that he had and unfortunately his day didn't really go to plan I think he had a bit of a mechanical problem towards the end of the test but um, nevertheless yeah straight to work I guess with his old team there suited him just fine I'm pretty sure testing isn't where he'd rather be at this point of the year nevertheless to acclimatize himself with the the personnel there and he did look very relaxed in the garages and and probably that weight of expectation off his shoulders in continuation with that social media presence he's fostered in the last 12 months or so it's just great that he he will continue and probably the only one out of those a lot uh, moving elsewhere next season Daniel Ricciardo is going to be the the big unknown when he jumps into the the Renault come that first test in late February but for the rest of them it was just good to see that they don't have to waste much time and probably out of the lot it was most amusing seeing 
Carlos Sainz and his McLaren overalls. Yeah. The other two or three were grinning ear to ear and he was there like, mm, it is what it is, I've, I've got to drive. Well, yeah, with the car as it is this year anyway, it, it was kind of disappointing that uh, Red Bull weren't able to release Ricardo to test for Renault immediately. But, um, you know, when he jumps in the car come February for pre-season testing, then we'll find out where um, what the progress will be like anyway. Gasly got to go straight into the Red Bull, so that, that was something. But, um, yeah, while we have a big exodus of drivers, I guess, um, from F2 this year going into F1, um, we've got some exciting drivers coming into F2 next year, and Mick Schumacher will be making his debut, which will be really exciting. I can't wait to see him. I'm sure you can't wait to see him either. And he will be with the Premier team as well, the team that he won the European F3 Championship this year too. So um, how's he going to go next year against the likes of, uh, you know, we've got Nobuhara Matsushita coming back. Uh, he'll be partnered by Sean Galeo, who's a another Red Bull junior driver. So it's going to be quite exciting. And yeah, if, uh, you know, as we keep saying, 2020, 2021 is when we can expect um, or 2021 realistically is when we can expect Schumacher to make a, a leap into F1 given that he has a successful stint in the, the undercard. And thankfully, as it seems, F2's got no chance of catching a turn next year with that report of uh, Dan Tickdom uh, or Tan Dictum as we do refer to him ubiquitously these days. He seems as though Super Formula is going to be his future and it will be fascinating to see what kind of shots come Schumacher's way if he does carve up the F2 field Tickton will probably be out saying oh but if I was there he wouldn't be leading something to that effect. Yeah a bit of a Paul DeResta syndrome going on if I was at Mercedes I'd be a world beater etc etc but um, with one Schumacher going to F2 there's a possibility that another Schumacher could be in F3 so F3 of course coming under that um well, GP3 becoming F3 next year as part of that uh, United Formula umbrella or whatever that um, the FIA want to control. And yeah, we could have Ralph's son, David, um, coming into F3 next year. So, um, you know, the possibility of having two Schumachers on the F1 grid in the next five or six years is very much a possibility, which will be exciting, I'm sure. And Liberty, again, they'll be all over it without making it too cheesy. If the potential's there, they're not going to sit around and close off any opportunities. And I think on the basis of what we've seen, and probably David Schumacher's been a little bit more anonymous, and it's understandable considering what Michael Schumacher did achieve and the the aftermath of since his accident, that the, the eye is always going to be on his son, that if David Schumacher does arrive, that would just be a great story. And thinking of two other Schumachers coming through, let alone the rest of them that have already established themselves or entering from next season, it's really reassuring for the future of the sport once the Alonso's, Vettel's and Hamilton's, Raikkonen's, etc. do take their exit. Yeah, we can't just let Verstappen take all the uh, the hype as a second-generation driver. We need the Schumachers in there, so um, that'll be great to see. Uh, we got news this morning about the Gold Coast 600 or the Gold Coast 500 event for next year, and apparently the uh, plan for the 500 next year has been shelved with the Enduro 
uh, round to stay as a two by 300 kilometer event. So two races, Saturday and Sunday, both 161 laps and 300 kilometers each. So I guess um, it's all to do with perhaps that possibility of tying it up with NASCAR and having that run on the Saturday and also then have the supercars in on the Sunday. So I guess keeping it as it is has been for the last few years, it's uh, yeah, no point in changing it. It does seem as though a little bit of ambivalence from supercars, whether they're trying to to line up their own future prospects alongside these international categories. It's hard to know what the uh, intentions are and just the fact that it, it's still in that rejigged calendar position with Bathurst as the initial enduro. Uh, it will be fascinating to see whether they do ever line up a a NASCAR appearance or, or IndyCar, but that'll be quite separate, it seems, at the start of the the season. But for, for what it is, it's been successful enough in the past as it is a run over the two days, and maybe we'll see in another year or so that they will make the actual switch in line with Sandown and Bathurst come to fruition. And particularly with the transition over to the summer series as it will be in a couple of years time as well and finally as well so yeah we talked about Alonso and his plans for next year and he's already confirmed a couple of things that he'll be doing in conjunction with the Indy 500 which he'll be driving a a Chevrolet in McLaren colours and of course um, the rest of the WEC races which the next one is um, in March at the Sebring circuit so he'll be returning to Daytona again to do the Rolex 24 He'll, he'll be with Wayne Taylor Racing his Toyota teammate Kamui Kobayashi will be teaming up with him. They'll have uh, Jordan Taylor, who's really handy in an IMS, in the IMSA series, and of course uh, Renga van der Zand as well, the uh, the Dutchman. So um, Alonso wasting no time, I guess, trying to get uh, as much mileage as he can or racing all different categories. But yeah, it'll be you know the pick again, Le Mans next year, another opportunity for Toyota, and then of course the Indy 500 is the one that everyone's got to have their eye on. Alonso's become a mercenary gun for hire these days and he'll happily pimp himself out to the highest bidder and at least for him, if he's going to be successful, there'll be more satisfaction for him and again, whether he does wake up in in May or July and he's achieved his other bucket list ambitions and he does want to put the feelers out for F1 again, that's something we'll have to wait on but at least in the meantime, he's got some good plans there and it's something like Craig Lowndes we're also going to be curious with on the the local side whether he's got very similar ambitions yeah exactly and we'll talk about Craig Lowndes um, now with the Newcastle 500 roundup and everything and uh, Scott McLaughlin crowned 2018 champion and I guess it didn't come easily given that it was a bit of a controversial weekend particularly for triple eight but yeah for mclaughlin nine wins this year 12 pole positions he had the win on saturday too and um yeah it's been a stellar year and i guess it all goes back to when he made his debut back in 2013 it it was uh, when he achieved that first victory in auckland at his home race um, we all said, you know, it's a matter of when, if, uh, it's a matter of when, sorry, not if he'll ever win a championship. We earmarked him from the beginning that he's going to be a future champion. And lo and behold, you know, here he is as a 25 year old and he has uh, put his name in the history books as a supercars champion. And it's only going to go, there's only going to be more and more, you'd think, over the next few years. And the plans from the Penske side, they seem to have 
uh, big ambitions in mind. Roger Penske probably hasn't been too discreet the way that he is looking at perhaps tempting him stateside in the next two or three years and maybe emulating Marcus Ambrose, albeit with top-line machinery since Penske's taking the world by storm in in all categories, in IndyCar and NASCAR, whatever it turns its hand to, and now supercars. So clearly being involved in that uh, corporate structure, he's opened up so many pathways. But as it is, as far as redeeming himself for 12 months ago, and don't need to remind anyone about those circumstances, it was very apt that he was able to seal the, the job this time. And just the way that he was able to bounce back after that little trophy went through around the um, start of the enduro season and just got it together with that podium at Bathurst and beyond, he just timed his run to perfection. Exactly, and um, even Saturday it looked a bit dicey for him. He had the win all sealed up and then ran out of fuel on the final lap, letting uh, Van Gisbergen take the victory, and it was a a two-point margin going into Sunday, which was going to be really exciting, but then it was found out post-race that um, Red Bull, they um, had a refueling breach that cost the Kiwi, and of course a post-race penalty was applied to drop uh, Van Gisbergen down to fifth, and then there was a 53-point gap going into to race 31. So um, I guess with Van Gisbergen, it all came down to how saying that, oh, you know, after the penalty, it just I didn't have the inspiration to, to push on the Sunday, and it, it just unfolded for him. It was a scrappy race. His car was falling apart. Um, so, you know, again, you could say it's not his fault, but... The teams let him down again, as it has been over the past few events. Gold Coast, of course, with the um, pit lane uh, penalty again. He had, I think, the unsafe release. Then this penalty this time is almost come up inside, say, for dodging a penalty in Pukekohe for the wheel spinning in the pit lane where, you know, the stewards were chastised for not giving him a penalty there or saying, be more consistent with your stewarding. But then they've penalised him here with a, a, a time penalty for something that, when you look, Triple Eight made the case that, oh, back in Adelaide, uh, Anton Di Pasquale had the same thing happen on his car, but the team Erebus were given a, a financial penalty. So that's, I guess, something for them to look at, the the rule book and everything over the off-season. But at the same time, Triple Eight have got to take responsibility for their um, strategic errors, for, and that's what ultimately lost Van Gisberg in the championship. That and also the fact that, as every year he does, he dominates at Adelaide and goes missing for a few rounds and it's not until the middle of the season that he does sort of come back into form and we saw that sort of after Townsville where he went on that run um, there at Tail and Band, of course, the Sydney Super Night winning that one as well. Well, regardless of the way it petered out and Triple H's complicity, particularly those past three events where they've been in the wrong and whether the sanctions have been applied or not, it hasn't been a great look for supercars that it, they've really diddled around for, for up to 12 hours or so and left everybody hanging overnight for a verdict and it just takes all the, the fizz out of a result. We're all sitting around scratching our heads wondering if the results are provisional or final. So when we do see that well, all that euphoria of it's literally going to the wire and, and it's a grandstand finish on Sunday at Newcastle and then most people only tuning in maybe um, an hour or so before the race on Sunday and they find out it's pretty much just uh, McLaughlin having to, to rock up and, and finish anywhere in the top five. It was just a little bit of a, 
a sour note for, for the championship to wind down, but ultimately you can see that the right man and the right team prevailed. Yeah, given that they've had the more complete season and he's made the le- least amount of mistakes. So I guess if Van Gisbergen won the championship, we would have all been talking about how the fact that he wasn't penalised in... Sorry, the fact that he wasn't penalised in Auckland is what um, has allowed him to do this, so there would have been a sour taste anyway. But I guess McLaughlin winning it, it's a feel-good story, redemption for last year, and all it took was second uh, P2 on Sunday to to get the job done because Reynolds uh, took the lead off him. They didn't really want to fight for it. I guess they were sitting in the garage with uh, their eyes, uh, hands over their eyes because they didn't want to see what was going to happen. But a nice way for for David Reynolds and for Erebus to finish off the season. And Reynolds, of course, uh, awarded the best and fairest for the second year in a row um, at the awards night, uh, the Barry Sheen medal, medal as it is. So, you know, you were saying after the race, yeah, you know, next year could they be title contenders it would be really good to see Erebus up there and especially David Reynolds as well who's had a a really great season too and it's just it sucks again what happened at Bathurst but I guess um that's just Bathurst in general it just it can uh be rewarding one year to you but then the next year really cruel I thought it was we got the fairy tale finish with Craig Lowndes signing off on top there and plenty more opportunities for David Reynolds. Just that trajectory that Erebus has had the upswing since he joined them. They've really um, got themselves set up to achieve that ultimate goal. And you wouldn't, you'd say, dare say, in 12 months they'll be in the frame, if not two years. And if he's loyal to them and and really uh, pays off that investment they've put in him when he was cast aside by... FPR, Tickford, ProDrive, whatever you want to call them, he's really bounced back in a, a great way and he's solidified himself as a household name. He's probably the most marketable driver alongside Scott McLaughlin these days. Yeah, a real change of the guard there and talking about Lowndes and his farewell and everything, I guess Bathurst was that highlight for this season, but unfortunately Newcastle, probably not the farewell that he would have wanted. So a bit of pit lane chaos on Saturday, saw him... Uh, basically hop over Scott Pye and um, this is the first time I think we've seen Lowndes this angry or heard him be so vocal so um, uh, not a good day for him there didn't end up finishing the race but then on Sunday missed the shootout of course top 10 shootout and then uh, finished 11th in the race just like Alonso (laughs) yeah just like Alonso at least he didn't take penalties though like Alonso the madman that he is so but still he gets to go out with his head held high seven Bathurst wins in total it's not like you know I think someone said post-race the way that it's been talked about it's like he's uh, passed away or something the way that everyone's paying tribute to him but he'll be there next year of course for the Enduros and he'll be with the media too um, with the Fox Sports team which will be good to get his insight into the sport and everything and some commentary off him but um, exciting to see that he'll be teaming up with Van Gisbergen and Win Cup for the uh, Bathurst 12 hour I think we discussed last week so they'll be in that Mercedes with that iconic Vodafone livery that Triple Eight did used to have so that'll be really exciting to see um, the 12 hour next year with those three in the car and of course you were saying before his ambitions to race elsewhere I'm hoping he gets a Le Mans gig next year as he's always wanted so um, yeah a lot to look forward to for Craig Lowndes um, in other categories who knows Le Mans Newburgring even something stateside he's really got all that time up his sleeve now and again like Alonso you wonder whether time away from his um, long-term gig might 
revitalize him to come back sometime in the future. You can never say never with these greats. Yeah, exactly. And you already said it last week that the possibility of him coming back in 2020 has been discussed. His old boss, John Crennan, certainly said that. So, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. And there was a bit of talk after the weekend as well that perhaps, you know, or during the weekend, sorry, that perhaps... You know, it wasn't entirely on his terms that this retirement was called. You know, Triple Eight, of course, Roland Dane deciding to scale back the operation to cars and everything and just, yeah, perhaps forced Lanz's hand in that case. But I guess that's, you know, that's all speculation. We can only celebrate what Lanz has achieved in his career. And, of course, he'll be there next year, either with Wind Cup or Van Gisbergen in the Enduros. But uh, moving it on, it was uh, by comparison to McLaughlin, I guess, for his teammate Fabian Coulthard. It was a miserable weekend. Both races he had DNFs. Um, The first one, I guess, on the Saturday just quite spectacular made a mistake went into the fence at turn one then ended up having his rear end taken off by Nick Perkett and Tim Blanchard so that wasn't that great for him and then yeah Sunday getting tangled up with wind cups so there'll be pressure on him I'm sure for next year as well uh, to retain his seat much like a Valtteri Bottas in that sense a lot of parallels between those two Coulthard had his moments this season but he did seem to go missing when it was crucial and maybe not always in his control some of those crashes at at Gold Coast and then Pukekohe he was pretty blameless and probably a little bit scrappy here at, at Newcastle so he'll be another one who probably needs to secure his future with some strong performances in the early stages of 2019 I dare say that a Chaz Moster, or even as you alluded to last week, a certain Craig Lowndes could be a light bulb thoughts to step in alongside McLaughlin. Exactly, and I guess well, you can say that perhaps the team's championship didn't come their way this year because of uh, Coulthard's lack of results and contributions, only just the one win for him this season. So, yeah, they won the Drivers' Championship, but the, the team's championship went to Triple Eight. And I guess, you know, quite importantly and poignantly as well, um, the Ford Falcon has been farewelled fittingly with 11 wins, 13 poles this season. And, of course, for the FGX chassis, it's its second uh, Drivers' Championship, of course, with Mark Winterbottom having won in 2015, the first year we had the, the FGX. So yeah, the Falcon um, being farewelled in in the right way. It was the 17th actually championship for the Ford Falcon as a, as a model. So car number 17 winning the 17th championship for the Falcon. Quite fitting way to send that uh, particular car off. Yes, you can see for all it's contributed and very fitting that it was with someone like um, Scott McLaughlin and DJRTP who have contributed so much over that duration and iconic partnership signs off on a winning note and and now we wait and see what the the Mustang can deliver and then we'll see what the response is from the the GM side whether they have something up the their sleeve in the next 12 months yeah and I'm just reading now as well that apparently triple eight are not going to be running the triple eight number next year on their cars um they'll only bring it out for whoever Lowndes pairs up with in the Enduro. So I guess that's a nice gesture from them to sort of semi-retire that iconic number which has become synonymous with uh, Lowndes over the course of his Triple Eight career, of course. Between that, and you've also seen that Scott McLaughlin's elected to continue with the the 17, whether that's in deference to the the heritage of Dick Johnson racing at the very least, when he did have... um, 
that prerogative to take up the number one, just like you see in Formula One, Lewis Hamilton's sentimentally attached to the number 44, that little subtle nod he paid to the more personnel than on his own um, indulgence, you could say, Friday practice. He ran the number one on the, the front wing there, and that was just a little thank you. But for, for Scott McLaughlin, it shows that he is humble to, to continue with the number that's synonymous with... DJR. Exactly. And I guess uh, rounding it out, there was a, a soft farewell for Nissan because uh, this was their final race, of course, as as a manufacturer in the sport. They will still have the four cars next year um, for Kelly Racing. But um, yeah, just I guess it summed up the way that um, Nissan's tenure has been the last six years in supercars. It's not been that great. We had Andre Heimgartner finish in the top 10 on Saturday and there was uh, glimpses of good speed from Simona Di Silvestro. But ultimately, yeah, just like the entire Nissan program, it didn't really uh, deliver much excitement or hype uh, or, yeah, basically it just sort of fell off. A couple of victories in the the duration and they've been a little bit more consistent the past year or so, but compare that to, say, a Volkswagen whose uh, presence was blinking, you'll miss it, and they were much more in that title hunt in those years alongside the McLaughlin at um, GRM. You could you could say that it has been a little bit of a fizzer, and, and you did mention that, that talk of personnel from Kia, so perhaps there's something in the pipelines for 2020 after uh, Kelly Racing as they'll be. They run the, the customer Ultimas for the next year. Yeah, exactly. So exciting times ahead anyway, but just a great way to end the season and uh, quite exciting to already look forward to next year. And a changing of the guard, as I just said earlier too, because with Lowndes leaving, McLaughlin was always tipped to be the next Craig Lowndes, if that makes sense. You know, the same way that uh, Brock passed the mantle on to Lowndes and now Lowndes passing it on to McLaughlin. And you know, McLaughlin versus Van Gisbergen, we're going to see for years to come, which will be exciting unless McLaughlin decides to go off to NASCAR with Penske. So, and you hope, uh, say, a Chaz Mostert buys into that debate as well, gets yeah. some reliable machinery and at if his Scott, feet. And if Scott Pye heading up the Walkinshaw camp, which we expect good things from next year as well, given they're going to be in that second year of that relationship with the Andretti and the United Auto Sports of the world. So, yeah, it's nice to finally see that changing of the guard as we are with Formula One for next year as well, um, that we'll have a lot of these exciting young drivers to look forward to. So other than that, nothing much else to discuss then. We'll um, weigh in again with our final thoughts and reflections on the uh, 2018 season, the 2018 year, I guess, for for sport. We might even do a dedicated edition for all our other favourite sports and maybe recap the footy and what happened there and other categories in the world for motorsport. So until then, we'll leave it at that for this time and uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Till then.